Is depression funny? When I personify it as an asshole who's just being obnoxious, you know, uh, I saw that you were feeling pretty good about yourself today. So, uh, hey, by the way, before you go to sleep, here's everything you've ever regretted doing in your entire life set to music. It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. Here we talk about depression with people who have dealt with it. And we have some laughs along the way to make those conversations more enjoyable. That way the whole thing isn't so scary and there can be more conversations and maybe things can get better for everyone. And welcome, my dear friends, to season two of the show. Season one was a big success, and we're back with more than twice as many episodes, incredible guests, and a broader scope. There are a lot of entertainers, makers of things, creative folks who are very deeply funny, but maybe not actual comedians. And this season, we're going to talk to comedians and to some of those other people, musicians, writers, actors. We got Russell Brand coming up, Margaret Cho, author John Green, Wayne Brady, Amy Mann, Gary Gullman, so, so many people. First up, an actor, writer, YouTube host, and former Starfleet ensign. My name is Will Wheaton, and we are in my game room at my house uh, in the San Fernando Valley. On a sunny, perfect California day, I sat in a bungalow in Will Wheaton's backyard, whimsically surrounded by seriously hundreds of board games. Will is funny, delightful, gracious, and he's thoughtful. He was wearing a Minnesota North Stars t-shirt when we came over for the interview because he knew that my producer and I are from Minnesota. Later on in this episode, I get kind of mad at him as depression pulls me into its web of deceit and I try to reason with something unreasonable. You're a successful actor. This is... It's sort of driving me crazy. <laughs> Will Wheaton became a movie star at age 14 in the movie Stand By Me. He followed that with a run as Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation through his teenage years. Since then, he's done a ton of voice and screen acting, recurring roles on many TV shows. He appears on The Big Bang Theory as himself. To this day, I hate going on auditions. Like I, I walk in and I can just feel them thinking... He was such a cute kid. What happened to him? <laughs> and then I don't get the job, and I can never find out why. Honestly, I get so depressed there are entire weeks that I can't even get out of bed. Okay, this was helpful. I have generalized anxiety disorder, and I have chronic depression. I didn't realize that I had that until I was in my 30s. Hmm. Um, Had you sensed that something was going on? Not really. You know, one of the ways that I, that I described, that I have described it is like, for me, living with mental illness was like living in a really large, dark room with no windows or doors. And it was so unbelievably loud that I just kind of learned to exist in that loud darkness. And once my wife said, I really think that you should get some help for what's going on with you because it just doesn't seem like 
it just doesn't seem normal. Um, and I saw a psychiatrist and I started taking medication and I'd seen therapists for years and that worked to a point, but I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. So seeing like seeing a, a psychiatrist who could prescribe medication for me, um, it opened up a door that I didn't know was there. And I could suddenly see this light that I could walk toward. And I went through that door and I didn't realize that there was this world outside of that dark, loud room until all that I had left was that, like after you leave a really loud concert and all you have left is the ringing in your ears, it was like that was all that was left. And once that awful noise was taken away, I became aware of how much of my life was spent just trying to exist. Mental illness runs in my family. There's, there are, and what's weird, and one of the reasons that I think it took me so long to get uh, help was in both of my parents just kind of like never wanted to talk about it. And, and are, they're very much from the generation that, that just internalized and fully believed that depression equals weakness. And, uh, you know, one of the things I say when I talk about this to people is like, I know, I, I know that there is this, this, this thing where people think, well, why can't you just cheer up? And I'm like, dude, if I could just cheer up, I would. <laughs> like, oh, really? I never tried that. Thank you. Oh, my God. It's that simple? Really? I had no idea. Boy, do I feel dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> I could have gotten out of bed years ago. Right. Will is a showbiz success. Long IMDb page. Multiple awards ambivalence. I never chose this. Uh, I was seven years old when I did my first commercial. I don't have a lot of memory of not being a kid who went on auditions and occasionally worked uh, as an actor. Um, it was really important to my mom. Um, the way she tells it, uh, she wanted to be an actor and my grandmother was dead set against it. And I think that she kind of went overboard in the other direction and really encouraged my sister and me to, to do it. My clear memory, my, my parents will tell the story differently, but my clear memory was that I was never given a choice. My clear memory is that this was expected of me and it was what I had to do. I mean, it's great to be on stage. It is absolutely phenomenal to be on stage and like get immediate feedback from an audience. And there's something that is that is as close to like sorcery as I can experience when I'm with another actor and we're playing a scene and something that neither one of us expected to happen comes out of it, right? I mean, it's, it is an intensely wonderful creative experience. Um, I just, I, I will never, I will never not wish that I had been given the opportunity to choose it for myself in my own time, in my own way, instead of having it kind of imposed on me. Show business is a business. For actors, that means going on endless auditions, putting your body, mind, and emotions out there to be judged, and almost always getting rejected. You're asked to be emotionally vulnerable artistically, but tough on the business side. Will has been in the business trying to walk that line almost all his life. I was about nine, and I had done a commercial for uh, Duncan Hines Brownies. And the director was a jerk. 
he he was a screamer. All he did was scream at kids. And I remember somebody saying, this director is not that good with kids, which made me, even at nine years old, wonder why would you choose this guy to work with 15 kids (laughs) who are dressed up in soccer uniforms when he clearly does not like us. That was so weird, but he was awful. And I remember we would we had to sing a song or something like that. So they were like, take a big bite of this brownie and then sing the song. And I was like, okay. So I take a big bite of the brownie and I chew it and swallow it and sing the song. And they're like, cut, you have to just take a bite and then sing the song. And I'm like, okay. So I take a bite of the brownie and I sing the song. Of course, my teeth are covered in brownie. You're like, you're doing it wrong. You have to take a bite of the brownie and <laughs> don't let it get on your teeth and then sing the song. And it was awful. And, and, and the guy's just screaming at me the whole time. And when it was over, I said to my mom, I don't want to do commercials anymore. I want to go be an actor. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that it meant that I wasn't, wasn't going to have to work with this person. You made the distinction, though, between being in commercials and being an actor. Right, because being an actor felt to me like I was going to be like one of the people I watched on TV. Hmm. I was going to play pretend and uh, I was going to get to – I was already – I was on my way to being a writer already because I loved using my imagination. Uh, I made up stories for everything. Uh, I carried a, a like a, a sketch pad with me all over the place. And I was super into like UFOs and, and aliens. And I had seen War of the Worlds, the, the old like 1960s one on like, you know, the afternoon movie show or something like that. And I just drew those Martians attacking all the time. And I would like make up these really complicated stories. And I can't draw. And this I would make like up these- seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. And yeah. I was making up these incredibly complicated stories for like little stick figures who were like fighting with them and stuff. So I remember vaguely thinking like, well, if I, since I have to do this, if I did this, if I was an actor instead of a a kid in commercials, at least I would get to make things up and at least I would get to tell stories. Then the big break. He landed a lead role in the movie Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner based on a Stephen King novella. Will was Gordy Lachance, the protagonist, like Will, an awkward, nerdy, shy kid, Here, Gordy pulls a gun and cocks it as he confronts a teenage bully played by Kiefer Sutherland. You're not taking him. Nobody's taking him. Come on, kid, just give me the gun before you take your foot off. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. Moves. I'll kill you, I swear to God. Come on, Lachance, give me the gun. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. The movie was a hit. It's now considered a classic. Made stars of Will, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell. That was a really good time. And uh, Rob Reiner took unbelievably good care of us. I wasn't prepared for how successful the film was. And to anyone at any point in their life, like going, literally waking up one morning and, and, and being rocketed from just obscurity into international fame um, is overwhelming. But on balance, it feels pretty good. And, and especially for me, by that point in my life, a lot of my worth as a human being was tied up in how successful I was as an actor because that was kind of 
how my parents related to me. If you booked more things, then you were doing better. Yeah. You know, I had the good fortune of just always booking things when I was a kid, right? Like I was constantly booking jobs. And if I didn't book something, it was more of an anomaly than, than if, than, than like, you know, than it is now. <laughs> I, I haven't booked a job off an audition in 10 or 13 years or something like that. And that was around the time I was 13, 14, 15 years old was when I began to feel that was when anxiety started for me. And I didn't have the words to describe it then, but that attention began to feel uncomfortable. And I began to feel like I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing things for myself as much as I was doing things that other people expected me to do. And I felt like I didn't have a voice in my own life. So Will's got some issues, but he's also a business asset. He's a moneymaker, a product, and products need to advertise. It was really important to the adults in my life that I do a lot of like teen magazine stuff. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't like it. It felt stupid to me. Um, the people that worked at the magazines who did the interviews and the photos and stuff were really nice people. And they were always really good to me. But it just felt, I just felt like this is a distraction. This isn't what the work is about. This isn't what the art is about. This, like, none of this matters. Like, and, and there's an argument to be made that being popular like that helps you get more work because the more popular you are, the more, you know, the, the more bankable, the more marketable and all that stuff. I just wanted to make believe and, and, and like be a normal person. And I didn't know how to talk to people and I didn't know how to be like, I didn't know how to human. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I look at pictures of me, all, you know, all, all the teen magazine pictures of me, cause they're all over the internet. Right. A lot of people look at that and like, we can kind of laugh at the unfortunate early eighties fashion choices and stuff. But all I see is this kid who just looks so sad. Mm. I just, I see it in my eyes in every picture. I'm like, please let this be over. If you Google Will Wheaton tiger beat, you can see those pictures he's talking about, and yeah, that sadness in his eyes. But at this point, Will does not quit showbiz. He goes to work, as ends in Wesley Crusher on the brand new Star Trek The Next Generation. And this is by far the most popular Wesley Crusher Star Trek clip out there. Sir, I know this may finish me as an acting ensign, but- Shut up, Wesley. Lieutenant, pick a good security team and let me know what he does. Aye, sir. Shut up, Wesley. Doctor. And since I am finished here, sir, may I point out that... Shut up, Wesley. That everything that I have said would have been listened to if it came from an adult officer. Request permission to return to my quarters, sir. Agreed. I never really, you know, I, maybe three times in five years of Next Generation did I feel like massively creatively satisfied because it just, I just wasn't one of the characters on the show that got to have the big stories. You mm -hmm. know, they wrote those for other people. But the times that I did were really meaningful and they really helped me grow as an artist. But I meet people all the time who tell me, you know, I grew up watching Next Generation and at a time in my life when I had nothing in common with my parents, we had Next Generation in common and it gave us 
a bridge to hold us together. Mm -hmm. And I meet people who are scientists and engineers, and the reason they do it is because they thought Wesley Crusher was cool. Yeah. And and there are those contributions <clears throat> that feel great, and I'm really proud of it, and I'm really, really grateful for it. When I think of those things, and I think about the lives that that work affected, I feel like, yes, the loss was worth it. How old were you in the years that you did Star Trek? From when to when? I was 14 to 19. 14 to 19. Um, those are extraordinarily formative years, they obviously. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious what it was like spending those in front of the camera, but I'm also curious about what it did that I know some of the people I watched Star Trek with didn't like you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was really hard. And that was a, a big thing like, oh, you know, Wesley sucks. Yeah. What did that do to you? There are times where Wesley Crusher was an objectively badly written character. That's not my fault. Yeah. It took me a really long time to accept that it's not my fault. And when someone goes bananas at me about it now, I can like listen to it and listen to it. People and, come up to you and, and then rail on Wesley Crusher? They don't really come up to me. It happens on the internet all the time. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and like I, I, you know, sort of like sit through it and then remind them that. I was 15 or 16, nobody listened to me and I didn't write it. It's not my fault. I did the best that I could. How did it feel back then though? It was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible you, because- You took it all to heart. Of you course didn't just I did. say, oh, forget them. No, I took it all to heart, 100% to heart. And it hurt and it was painful. And I would leave conventions in tears. I was a huge fan of the original Star Trek. Working on Star Trek was a dream come true for me. And- I was there five days a week, 10 hours a day, and it hurt like hell that people were cruel to me about it. And I don't think everyone who was like Wesley sucks meant Wesley sucks and you suck, Will Wheaton. But that's how I heard it. Sure. It was, because you weren't delineating between yourself and Wesley, really. Well, because I'm living as him five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was terrible. And it added to my sense of being worthless. Fame screwed up Will Wheaton. It's kind of the cliche about child actors. But he didn't hit the bottle or hit the nightclubs. He just started thinking about what kind of life he was living. As I got older, I became aware of how much I had given up and how much I had lost um, because I was working. Like, I, I remember saying to my, to my mom, like, I just want to be a kid. Can't I please just be a kid? And, and it, I was on a series and I couldn't, I couldn't do that. You had to work. I had to work. And I had to show up to work. And I had to be as professional and, and, and stayed and prepared as the adults around me. But I also had to go to school and I had to do well in school because if I didn't do well in school, I didn't get a work permit. If I didn't get a work permit, I couldn't work. And I still wanted to do things with my friends. And that was hard to do because their commitments and responsibilities tended to end at about four o'clock every day. And who knows when mine's going to end because right. I don't know what time the, we're going to wrap. Um, and... I felt like I had given up and lost so much that it had to be worth it. And the only way that it could be worth it is if I were as successful as pick, just pick somebody, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just like, that was where I set my sights. Did you have friends? 
I did. How did did you, how did you keep friendships in a world like that? It was really hard. Um, It was challenging to meet and trust people who were, who wanted to be friends with me as opposed to some people who wanted to be around the famous kid from TV and movies. And that was something always, you know, I, so funny. I I have friends that are in rock bands, right? And they have these, just like these endless, like debauched groupie stories, you know? Um, I kind of made out a little bit with one girl once when I was like 17. Um, And like, because she was just interested in me because I was the, guy from TV and I was just interested in her because she was attractive or whatever. And like all my friends are in rock bands are like, well, yeah, that's the deal. It's fine. And I was like, no, it's not. I want her to like me. <laughs> like I, I always, I constantly felt like I was struggling and I was desperate for people to like me instead of the actor and my grandfather when I was a kid, just didn't have time for me, right? And was just kind of like authoritarian and 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 just like rigid and and like not loving. And I was terrified of him. When I was on Star Trek, I suddenly became like really worthy of time and attention mm. and sign all these pictures for people at work. From your own grandfather. Yeah. And um and I know that that contributed to me as an adult feeling like, look at all this. I, I even, I didn't even get to have like a regular, like relationship with like my extended family. Like what, like, like it has to be worth it. It has to be worth it. You hear that phrase a lot when you talk to Will Wheaton about acting. Will said he loved his co-stars on Next Generation and was proud of the work. But after a while, things went sour. Here's how Will remembers it. I had been cast by Milos Forman to go work in Valmont. And I was gonna go to Paris and and be in this movie. Would have been the kind of movie that like, that is respectable. You know, prestige the, project. Prestige picture, yeah, 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 yeah right. It would have been like, I am in the legitimate theater, right? We were gonna film it during the hiatus, like a lot of people do. I would have been on location while we were filming the first week of production of that season of Next Generation. But we were shooting out of order, so it didn't matter. I wasn't contractually in every episode anyway. Could easily have just, you know, we, we gave them months of notice to know, you know, could we do this? And they were like, yes, we'll work with you, we'll work with you. Toward the, like, just before I was supposed to go, to go to Paris, Rick Berman, the producer, called and said, listen, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but you can't go do this film. We're starting production of the season with a Wesley episode. We cannot write you out of it. And I was like super upset But like, okay, you're my job. I understand. I'm under contract. Okay. And then a week before production, they wrote me out of the episode. That was the beginning of me wanting to have nothing to do with Star Trek for the rest of my life. I remember having a conversation with Marina Sirtis, who played Counselor Troy on Next Generation. And she said, yeah, all of us in the cast knew that he did that because he knew that if you went and did this movie, you'd be a bona fide movie star. And he just wanted to control you. I will never forgive him for that because it derailed my career. And I was never able to put it back on track after that. Not only because I missed the opportunity to go and do this thing, but because it made me so angry. 
because it was so petty and terrible and wrong that it affected my ability to trust producers and feel good about going to work. And, so it, and it, is, it is one of the reasons that I want to say it was like two years later when they, you know, I was, I was written off the, the show that rather than continue being an actor and try to go straight into movies, which I could have done at that point, I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to go figure out who I am and what I'm going to do with myself. Is that when you went to Kansas? Yeah. Kansas. Will was and is a nerd. Sometimes nerds rebel by moving to Kansas. More from Will in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. You know, we enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression. It's a way of maybe demystifying depression a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious disease. The good news is that people can get help and get better. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It could be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say or not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to help make it okay. And thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Will Wheaton. By the time he's written off Star Trek, Will is an adult, and he has had it with the entertainment industry. Will hears about a product called the Video Toaster. It's a technology thing. It lets ordinary people edit and produce video for a fraction of what it costs in Hollywood. And I saw this, this thing that made it possible for creative people to make movies without people like Rick Berman in the way. Like it made, made it possible for people to make movies without a network telling them what to do. And I was really excited about it. And I asked them if I could come work for them. So Will goes to work in the marketing department, fresh off Star Trek and a Hollywood career to marketing department in Kansas. But even in Topeka, you can't outrun your problems like panic attacks, for instance. I had them when I was asleep. So what was I that like? Waking up from a nightmare almost every night and not knowing what the nightmare was and not knowing why I was in absolute abject terror, heart pounding, cold sweats, body shaking, inconsolable terror. It happened every night of my life. It was so bad that I began to dread going to sleep. When was this? This started in my, in my teens. Wow. How long um, did it last? 20 years. Almost every night. And I would ask people about it and nobody could tell me what it was. And I remember asking, and I was like asking my mom, I was like, I, can you help me with this? And she was like, well, maybe let's see like where, what do you remember before you wake up? But what happened is I would wake up, I would become aware that I was awake. And then there would be this moment where I would be aware I was awake. And then this like, the, that moment when you hear the, the, the release on the free fall ride on the, on the like dropout ride, like you hear it go click 
right? And then it's like, did it? Ah! And then it goes. So when I would wake up and it'd be like, click. Oh my God, it's happening again. And then I would have this panic. It would, I would take naps in the day and it would happen when I was asleep. And I began to feel like I am defenseless when I am asleep. That's why this is happening. When I was in Kansas, it was, they were, it was terrible. I mean, it was just, I was alone in, in a condo and I would just wake up and I would just sit up in bed and turn on all the lights and just sit there and cry until the terror kind of ran, you know, washed away. And it got so bad that I was like, I got to go home. I can't, I can't do this anymore. You How know, long were you was, in Kansas? I feel like I was there close to two years. But on my way home, I was driving home from Kansas and I was thinking about like how much I missed. I actually missed being on the set. I missed getting up and going to the set and going to craft service and having a bagel and going to the makeup trailer and being with other actors. And I felt like, we're Luke Skywalker in our own story, and I felt like I have to complete the training. <laughs> I have to complete the training or I'll be consumed by the dark side. So I came back and I said to my agents, I'm going to drama school. I don't want to go on auditions. I want to go to drama school. I want to focus on being in drama school. So you're like 21 years old at this point? 21, 22, yeah. Returns to L.A., doesn't return to TV and film work. Will had a couple things going on. An unsettled mind prone to panic and depression and a determination to make his own decisions. So even though he's already been a star, he goes to school to learn how to act, how to do what he'd been doing forever. I loved it, but that was where I discovered that what I really loved was writing because we would take, we did an entire term of taking existing material where the words literally meant nothing. And all we did was attach intention to the words and tell a story using intention based on words. We did poetry and nursery rhymes. Nursery rhymes. Like I remember those. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And I loved directing actors in that. And I still enjoyed the acting. But I loved the other side of it. I loved being on the outside of what was happening on the stage and how good it felt to me when the thing that I and the actors had worked on was what the audience got, what the rest was what the rest of the class got. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned like I learned so much and I grew so much and I was like, I am ready. And the industry was like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> You were ready to go out and direct to, and produce and write? I was ready to go out and be an actor again. Oh, okay. Well, why not go out and be a, a writer and storyteller? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I felt like I was, I still felt like I was expected to be an actor. Well, and, you, and I felt like, well, I have all this, I have all this time and, and, and energy and life invested in this thing. Like it would be silly to, not build on that, right? Mm -hmm. Will Wheaton, equipped with still undiagnosed anxiety and depression, tries to get back into show business, not as a director and writer, the things he had come to love so deeply, but as an actor, the thing that he had always done before. Over the next 20 plus years, Will builds and expands his portfolio, voice acting and cartoons and games. He develops a writing career, becomes a rock star of the nerd convention world. 
And he hosts a popular YouTube series called Tabletop, filmed in the very room where I interviewed him, where celebrities join him to play board games. Sometimes working together to defeat a particularly tricksy designer is a lot more fun than discovering that Cal wasn't going to keep that one unit in France, and now I've lost control of the English Channel. And Julie's going to push me out of Portugal next term because Sarah isn't supporting me like she said she would, and nobody in the world respects the treaties I made with them! I'm sorry. Diplomacy wounds run deep. So Will is doing a million different things, and this diverse storytelling career that he had always wanted is his. It worked. Plus, he gets on meds and feels better. But the acting, the thing that he sometimes loved, sometimes hated, always felt chained to, that part doesn't take off like he wants it to. And that eats at Will Wheaton so hard, is eating at him so hard. Chris Hardwick is my best friend. And I called him a couple of weeks ago because I was really having a a rough time. And it's difficult for me. It's a challenge for me to separate, okay, what's real and logical and what is depression being a dick, Hmm. right? I mean, that's another thing we all live with, right? Yeah. What's in the goggles and what's in the real world? Exactly. (laughs) And I said to him, like, I just feel like maybe it's time to accept that it's over, that it's time to accept that I'm trying so hard and people tell me that I'm a good actor and they tell me that they, that they love to work with me and casting tells me that I did a great job and uh, they're just going to go with a different person, like over and over and over again. That is the, the last 20 years of my life is I'm down to one of the last three people every single time and I never get the job. And I just said, like, is it just time to accept it? Like, should I just accept that I will be successful as the host of Tabletop and just do that as long as the audience will keep showing up? And he said, you know, I think that it's normal to feel that way. And um, it's, it's not, you know, that's not, none of those feelings are unreasonable. But look at people like Morgan Freeman and Anthony Hopkins, whose careers didn't even really explode until they were like in their 50s. Yeah. And like, take a minute to be grateful that you're not a woman who worked like crazy to get work and, 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 and develop a craft and, and, and become like very, very good at what she does so that she can be thrown away by the industry at 30 years old. Yeah. You got 30 years worth of cops and detectives in you if you want. Yeah, if right. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was going I was to. Having, I was having a conversation. Uh, Sean Asset and I grew up working, you know, grew up together just going on auditions and stuff. Mm. And uh, uh, we've stayed friends. We're still really close. And uh, I was, you know, I was. I was telling him how, how excited I was for him to work on Lord of the Rings. And I was like, man, I, I wish that I could have gotten something in there. And he was like, yeah, well, you got stand by me. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, I was, I was relating that story. It sounds like I'm name dropping, but I'm not. It's just like to put faces to the voices sure. that said these yeah, things, I think makes the story richer. So I'm at a convention and I'm talking to Robert England, uh, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. Robert is one of the nicest people in the world. He's, Endlessly talented. Not an actual murderer. Not a, no, not, not an actual murderer. Not an actual alien visitor. Okay. Like can can do anything in the world. And I was relating him to, to him that story about Sean. And and he said, "Have you seen Sean on the Strain?" And I said, "I have. I really don't like the series. I really enjoyed the the books, but I feel like the series just misses the mark. But he's really great." And, and Robert England says, "Man, 
Ashton is going to be able to play every suit and tie role that comes his way for the rest of his life because of that movie. And I was like, why can't I play the suit and tie roles? So a bit of disclosure. I used to be an actor. I trained in the Meisner method, the same system as Will. But I eventually quit. Depression did bad things to me in terms of competitiveness and powerlessness. Ultimately, I became more interested in writing and radio. Now, it would have been great to have made it big. I'd love to be a movie star. And I would have killed for a career like Will Wheaton's. In fact, I hated Wesley Crusher on Star Trek because I was around his age, but the character was being played by this kid, Will Wheaton, who was talented and had a great career. Will had what I wanted to have. I think I brought my own baggage to the interview. It's funny. I was going over notes before I came over here, and I'm like, Will Wheaton is in so many things. I had I no know. idea how many things that you're in, but but you know, I look at that. I'm like, how does this guy fit in all these things in his in his day? But it sounds like you're still, to some extent, measuring yourself against what other people yeah. expect of you. So you're putting yourself in a in a position of less power. It's true. It's well, it's just really hard because I see. I have this I have this thing where I can see people who I really love and really respect in incredible roles and my first thought is always why didn't I get that chance This is how how much of a jerk my depression brain is I have done a lot I have accomplished a lot I'm grateful for and it sound I feel like it sounds like I'm not I'm massively grateful for every opportunity that I have had and that I continue to have I am incredibly grateful for the wonderful people I've been able to work with and I'm so grateful for just getting to make a living doing things that I love but until I can go to, and they say everything before the butt is bullshit. <laughs> I know, I was waiting for the butt. <laughs> but, but until I can go to an audition, this is really important to me. I haven't done this in over a decade. Until I can go to an audition and do the scene and get the call back and be chosen for the job and do the job, I will feel like a fraud. I know it's not rational. I know it's not true. I know that I'm not a fraud. But I cannot help but feel that way. I keep coming back to that feeling of like, it has to all have been worth it. And if I can't do as an adult what I gave away my childhood to do, then I cannot help but feel like it wasn't worth it. I know that doesn't make sense. I know that is that there's someone listening to this who just cannot believe that I feel that way. But, you but would, I mean, that's the thing. Depression's not rational. No, and no, it, it doesn't care how you feel. It's almost like I want to be able to say to the to the little kid version of me, like, "It's okay, buddy. Like someday, mm -hmm. I know that you want to go play with your friends, and I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna do what I'm, I'm gonna do this thing, so that it's okay that you couldn't go play with your friends." It seems like you still see yourself and evaluate yourself as an actor first and foremost. I, yes, I do. That really surprises me because following your career, what I've always been impressed by is he's a professional Will Wheaton. He does all <laughs> these things and acting is one of them and hosting this thing. And You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> you know, the whole nerdosphere where, where he is right. like unto a god. Right. 
you know, to the point where like, oh, he does still act in things. I, you know, I, I don't watch the Big Bang Theory a lot, but like, oh yeah, he's, yeah. he's on that. But you, to you, Will Wheaton's an actor. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, Will Wheaton is a failed actor. It is frustrating to feel like I gave my life to something and it, it was just like, sorry, there's no more room for you in the boat. Get out. I like to think that after hosting this program for a while, I know a thing or two about depression. And I know that you can't tell someone, just look how good you have it. You shouldn't be depressed. And I know that you can't tell someone, just look how good you have it. You have nothing to be depressed about. I know. I know, you guys. I know that's not how it works. Depression is not there because you have it bad. It's there because it's there, regardless of how your life is going. And even knowing all that... I tried to fix Will anyway. You know, one of the reasons I love the Meisner work so much and I love being in that program so much is that the two things that like the foundational, the two foundational pieces of Meisner acting are keep it simple and get out of your head. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those of us who live with, with depression, we're in our heads all the time. Yeah. And we overthink things and we overprocess things and, and we worry about everything and we second guess ourselves all the time. Um, but it was really helpful yeah. to, to, to learn that skill. Well, if you can trust an instinct, if you can trust your ability to follow instincts when you're acting so that you get an impulse of what to do and you follow it and you accept that that's the right thing to do. Um, that's something that in life with depression is really hard because you just assume, and you, you've used this language here today, that what you want to do is stupid. Yeah, because depression jumps in and goes, that's not a good idea. Yeah. If you're having it, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So then can't you just follow, I mean, can't we all follow the ideal and just do the ideal all the time? I don't know. Can't we just feel better? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. can't you just, just smile cheer up? Go for a walk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But can I, you apply those lessons from acting to uh, life as an actor? A little bit. I mean, I think I know that that I'm sure that there are successful actors who can do that. Yeah. Um, You're a successful actor. This is, it's sort of driving me crazy <laughs> because you are really... You're one of the more successful actors I've met and you're really good at it. And this to me is this illustration. My frustration right now is an illustration of what depression is because you are on the other side of that depression knowing what truth is. Okay. So if all, this is the thing, this is the disconnect for me. This is the thing that I cannot reconcile. If all of that is true, if I am a good actor, if I am a successful accomplished actor, why doesn't anybody want to work with me? Why, why won't they let me in that room? Like why that, you know, the part of Hamilton that makes me cry the most is I want to be in the room where it happens. <laughs> There's so much in that, in that, in that play yeah. that is emotional. But when he's like, I want to be in the room where it happens. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, me too. So much. But isn't the life of an actor, you've been in plenty of rooms where it happens, but you're not ever going to be in as many of them as you want to be. And if you write was, books, you're never going to sell as many books or win right. as many awards as you want I, to. I, I think that, that the reason that I struggle with it so much is that I got to be in the room where it happens when I was too young to appreciate it, when it wasn't my choice, where I was put outside the door to the room where it happens to extend this metaphor long after it should have ended <laughs> um, uh, by people who wanted me there for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. 
And when it was time for me to say, okay, now I want this. I want this for me, not for you. I want it for me. That suddenly those doors just stopped opening. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And nobody can tell me why. It's maddening. It, it is, it makes me feel like somebody's lying to me. I mean, the easiest, the easiest, uh, like logical thing would be, you know, they're just telling you that you don't suck to spare your feelings. It would be so much better if that were the case. Like if that were true, right. Then I'd be like, okay, I'm just not that good. That's fine. Like if that were the case, great. Because one, I can work on that. Or two, I can go, all right, I gave it the shot. Maybe, maybe the big leagues just aren't for me. Maybe I should go be the catcher in Bull Durham, you know? Like, well, <laughs> that's it, fine. And in that scenario, at least you live in an ordered universe. Yeah. I would submit that maybe the entertainment industry, more than most industries, is a chaotic universe yeah. where rules don't really mean anything. Yeah. And, and logic doesn't apply. What should happen just doesn't happen. Yeah. In I all sorts of ways. I, I, there's, that is logically, objectively true. But as anyone listening to this who lives with depression knows that like things that are logically, objectively true don't always make it through the noise yeah. and the self-doubt and, and the worry. It would be great to tell you that if you go and get your depression treated, all the bad stuff will be in the past. Sorry, I cannot tell you that. Will Wheaton knows that he has a chemical imbalance. He's getting good treatment. He has a good life, wonderful family, nice dogs. He even knows how depression makes itself known. And he knows depression's a liar. And he just has to live with it anyway. Finally, I had only one question left. Why do you spell Will with only one L? I've always done it that way. The story that my mom tells is that when I was a baby, my dad was working as a lifeguard and my mom wrote a note to my dad that said, we had to leave. We'll see you at home. Love, Deb and Will. And she spelled it with one L and it just stuck. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Our technical director is Corey Shreppel. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our theme song is called Pagliacci. It was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller of the band The Old 97s. Much more about Rhett is at his website, as you might expect. That's what websites do. RhettMiller.com. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The 8255 also spells talk. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about mental illness can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say or not to say. It has stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. 
our thanks to Make It Okay. We are on Twitter at THW of D. That's THW OF D. Or you can write to us via email, thwod, T H W O D, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. On the next episode, comedian Margaret Cho talks depression, exercise, Jesus, Korean culture, bombing in New Jersey, eating disorders, and not so great memories. You know, I would lay in bed, I would probably be like five or six years old, and I would lay in bed and I would be worried about the world, the planet running out of water. And I would really think about it. And I would try to think about salt water and if you could drink salt water. I didn't really know that you couldn't drink salt water or like water in pools. Can you drink water in pools? Well, I don't know. Like, and I would think about it and I would get so scared. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know. 